I guess just a kind of a brief background maybe on for me is uh, my wife and I, Denise, we were missionaries in China for 25 years. And for half of that time, we did prayer resolution with Chinese people. And um, yeah, so I probably taught this course uh, 60 times um, in English through a translator. And uh, about 3,600 students. And um, in China, I opened the class up to everybody. It didn't matter if they'd done their sessions yet or not because there's so much fear. And this is the best way to alleviate the fear was just to let them on the inside. It's like you see exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so anyway, um, about 15,000 hours of sessions with um, Chinese people. And um, so um, I came by this honestly. I, my wife and I were missionaries, but our marriage crashed. Hmm. Uh, we were back in the U.S., and our missions pastor said, go talk to Richard and County Smith, the founders of PR, for a resolution. And um, he said, I don't know exactly what they do, but I trust them, and they help a lot of people. So we, um, that's how we got started is we went, drove 1,200 miles to the western tip of Virginia and lived in the house next to the Smiths and did sessions, my wife, every morning for three hours and I did it every afternoon for three hours for five months. And at the end of that, we um, decided to stay married and to go back as missionaries to China and bring prayer resolution with us. So, so first we were the wounded one and then we became the student and then we became the safe helper and then we became the teacher and then we jumped countries uh to uh, into another culture and for the past five years i've been working with um gala in mongolia to establish um a permanent a persistent presence for pr in mongolia and so she is now a teacher of pr and she has trained some uh safe helpers and so there's now a persistent presence and um um, I'd, I'd love to see a persistent presence in your church where there's, yeah. uh, several people that are trained and of course they may have other tools in their box. That's okay. Uh, no problem with that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's kind of my goal. It's just, I just want to see people healed and, um, and then those who are restored, I want to equip them so they can help others and that's it. And um, so I do this full-time. This is my full-time job. And I still work with Chinese online, mostly Chinese missionaries that are going to other countries. And I work with Mongolians. A lot of them also are missionaries. Uh, all that's online. And um, But I'm recently I'm working with a lot of Americans also online. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my background. Yeah, I I have the best job in the world. Yeah, sounds like. <laughs> At least that's my view. <laughs> Caleb, if there's questions, any questions you have along the way, just jump in. Feel free to to ask. And um, 
I think I'll just go over some logistics here first. Is um, uh, so I'm going to record it. So if you miss some time, I'll just um, it'll be recorded. You can listen to the recording, catch up. Perfect. Um, I'll put the recordings on the website. Okay. Um, you already have a uh, password to get into the helper trainer resources area. So I'll put the these recordings out there. Perfect. Um, and also there's the syllabus is out there. I'm going to use my syllabus. So the banker 2019 syllabus. Okay. Uh, there is another syllabus, which is the Smith syllabus, which is 2012. As I taught all those times, I found that what I was saying was um, didn't they couldn't follow it very easily in the syllabus uh, because I expanded so many of the topics, and so I created a uh, a syllabus that really uh, follows uh, my words the way I teach it. Um, the principles are the same, and so um, but the style's different. Uh, the style is Mike instead of uh, uh, Connie and Richard. Um, you can also download, though, the the Smith uh, syllabus, and I, I encourage you to do that. You can also read what they wrote on forgiveness and so on. And most of what's in my syllabus, though, and has been copied from their syllabus, I've just expanded uh, different topics. Uh, for example, under the rebellion uh, and authority chapter, I've added a section on husbands and wives on um, how what husbands and wives should do. Because every time I teach on rebellion, they talk about they ask questions about being a husband or being a wife, meaning that they're lacking training in that area. So I added a, a bit uh, gotcha. about a page on that and added. Um, a page on a couple pages on sexual sins of the mind. Um, I added under the curse topic, I added maybe 20 or 30 examples. Um, so anyway, it's just an expanded version of the Smiths. Um, there's a few things in the Smith syllabus that I didn't, um, that aren't in my syllabus. Uh, one is they talk about a bunch of the different counselors that are out there. And, um, but I didn't include that because I've never studied any of those counselors, never researched them. So I can't answer any questions regarding oh, them. So, so I, I think it was, it's in there because that was Richard's thing, but I, I don't think anybody else is, um, comfortable teaching that. Uh, so anyway, but you can do download the Smiths and, and it's, it's good. So I'd encourage you to do that. Um, there's also um, video recordings for all these topics that we're going to study uh, taught by others. And so feel free to uh, watch those uh, also. Um, yeah. So I'll send out a reminder every week so that with the link um, so you can access it easily. Um, let's see what else. Uh, okay, my the basic approach. Oh, download the syllabus. Uh, the syllabus is about 150 pages. Um, yeah, so 75 if you print front and back. And 
Um, yeah, so it's in a PDF format. You don't have to print it. You could just look on your computer or your um, notepad or something if you want. Um, yeah, okay. So every week I'm going to teach two different kinds of topics. One topic is going to cover a, a kind of problem like forgiveness or consequences of sexual sin or um, words of power. So one of these kind of topics. And then there'll be a second topic, and those topics are all about being a safe helper. Okay. And so this is more nuts and bolts, like how long should a session be? Who can I work with? Who shouldn't I work with? Um, what else? Uh, how many sessions do they need? Uh, what's God's role in the session? Uh, what are the what's the pattern of prayer? So it's um, how do you do a personal history? So it's all these kind of nuts and bolts things for those who are giving sessions. Um, so there's 10 or 12 topics um, about being a safe helper. So I'll add those. Um, let's see. Um, there's not a lot of scripture references as I go through. Uh, if you want, you can just say, hey, is, you have a scriptural reference for that, and I'll give you one. Um, we've we've we know the scriptures and we've kind of we've written the material uh based on the principles uh but there's no they're all based on the bible it's all based on the bible but the, not all the references are always there so um just to ask though if you want if there's anything along the way that you say huh never heard that in church before wow that's different than what they say in church or I'm not sure that the Bible says this, so we can just talk about it. It's okay. Um, yeah. And um, how do I say? Uh, there's lots of different traditions and churches, and we try to respect them all, except for the cults. But, um, uh, and so oh, yeah. there's certain, there's cer surely areas that we, that um, we can discuss and, uh, there may be more than one answer. And so feel free to um, ask those kind of questions. Um, the syllabus will be the main focus, but I will draw in a few videos um, now and then. Um, okay. Every week before I start the new topic, the first 15 minutes, you can ask any question that you want. doesn't have to be related to the topic we just studied or the one that's coming up, but it'll just be an open time the first 15 minutes each time we meet. And um, I forgot to mention that other people can still join. So if you know somebody that would like to come join, um, they can still join. What I would do is have them watch the forgiveness video, and then I would uh, just take an hour online to answer any questions they have before we, um, you know, so if they want to join, especially uh, before next week, uh, yeah, come join us. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So do you have the syllabus or are you still in the car? I'm still in the car, but I'll have the syllabus 
you know, okay. lay it out. I have everything set up uh, at my desk in, once I walk into the house. Okay. Or like right. three minutes out. Okay. I'll just um, talk about the how the syllabus is laid out, and then by then you should be home. Perfect. Okay. So um, the syllabus, um, let's see what happened to before. Okay. So first of all, the, the syllabus, it's based on the Smith's methods and theory. And it, and right on the cover, I just say, I state very clearly that this workshop that uh, I put together, this uh, syllabus, it's uh, a derivative work of what they've done. And so um, it's based on all my years in Asia. And so I've just tried to draw on that to expand it. Um, the layout of the teaching is there's three major parts. The first part is going to talk about forgiveness and reconciliation. The second part is going to talk about the death sins. Um, there's three death sins. One is sexual sin. The second is rebellion. And the third is cursed by association or participation. The cursed topic is all the occult kinds of things and all the forbidden kinds of activities. And they're called the death laws because, the death sins, because in the Old Testament, you couldn't offer a sacrifice for these sins. You had to pay with your own life. And so these sins seem to still have an effect on a believer, even after they believe. They still have a, a consequence. And so, um, yeah, and so our, what we... Our point is that Christ provided everything you need to resolve it. All you have to do is pray. And so all these death sins can be resolved. All you have to do is pray. Christ's blood is enough to deal with it. You just pray and Christ's blood deals with it. And um, But we have noticed that these sexual sin, rebellion, and uh the occult kind of activities seem to still affect believers after they believe. And, and so a lot of what we do is in these three areas. Um, that's part two. Part three is destructive beliefs. Um, we see the world through a grid of beliefs, and some of those beliefs may be destructive, and oh, some of those beliefs may be destructive, and so we have to deal with them. Uh, the ones that are most destructive have to do with how we see ourselves, our worthiness. And um, so that's the biggest uh, big hitter in the part three. Uh, part four is being a safe helper. And what's God's role? What's God's approach? Who are the participants in the session? What are the prayer resolution techniques? Uh, is the hurting one ready or not? Uh, guidelines for sessions. You know, there's a whole list of 12 different things here that um, uh, are nuts and bolts things for safe helpers. And so that'll be um, part four. So here's reality is... We all get hurt, and we all hurt others. 
And um, sometimes these things that happen to us are small, so we can resolve them ourselves. Uh, but the bigger things, we really need somebody to help us. Uh, for example, if somebody was hurt as a child, they need somebody to help them work through that. They don't have the um, perspective, shall we say, to, for example, a child always thinks, the child never occurs to them that the parents did something wrong. They always think they did something wrong. And so for the things from our childhood, the deeper things, we need somebody to help us. But for some of the smaller things, we can resolve those ourselves. Um, what does the world say we should do when somebody hurts us? What's the um, world wants to do? Get even, get even, disassociate, move mm -hmm. away. Ghost those them. Those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, ghost them. <laughs> yeah, so, and it's pretty easy to learn how to do those things because you can turn your TV on to any channel and learn how to get even. <laughs> right and um mm. and our movies are full of it too it's all about uh getting revenge uh making them pay us back what they owe and um but what what does god say though yeah god says vengeance is mine or leave space for me to do vengeance and so um and so god says forgive hand them over to me let me do justice. And so it's quite a difference. So forgiveness is really God's idea. It's not um, it's not the world's idea. So you might hear a lot of things about forgiveness, but it's not um, it's not clear unless God's involved in the in the discussion. Um, so there on page uh, five, I'll just run through this example quick is um, so this Agnes was uh, a missionary kid. Uh, she's a counselor now, but she's a missionary kid. And she, as a teenager, she was gang raped in a North, Northern African country. And after it happened, she went to counselors and the counselors uh, encouraged her to forgive. But um, every night she would relive what happened and re-experience all the the pain all over again and so she felt shame she felt anger she felt defiled again and again night after night and so and she'd say things like why doesn't god help me why doesn't god care these were her comments so richard uh was her safe helper and he prayed and and asked god well what's the problem here and um god told him that ask her what basis did you forgive and she said well i forgave them like jesus did i forgave them because they didn't know what they were doing but here's the catch they did know what they were doing and it was even premeditated and if they could they'd probably do it again and so as richard told her these things she got really angry for the first time, she got really angry at the man who did this to her. And so um, when it came time to forgive them, it was harder. It was harder because she was so angry. But um, it's if you, if you really, truly want to forgive, you have to 
accept the fact that something terrible has happened to you and not excuse the one that's done it. It's only then that you can really extend um, true forgiveness. Um, a lot of people excuse the one that's wronged them. Well, yeah, my dad beat me, but his father beat him. Okay, so you understand why he beats you. Do you feel better now? No. <laughs> um, so it's okay to understand, but it's not enough to understand. You still feel hurt. You still feel angry. And if he was beaten by his father, then he knows better than anybody else how it feels. Why would he do that to you? And so, um, so you need to accuse him. Well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't speak this directly. I'd say maybe you should accuse him for his wrong. And um, is it wrong that he beat you? Yes. Okay, well, then maybe you should accuse him for his wrong and not excuse him. Let God do justice for you. So and, until you accept the fact that something terrible has been, terrible wrong has been done to you, and the person who did it is without excuse, it's only then you can truly forgive them. If you excuse them, there's nothing to forgive them of. If it's not their fault, then why are you angry at them? And so uh, if you excuse them, you're really not, you're not um, holding them responsible anymore for what they did. And when we excuse them, what happens to all those emotions and that, that anger or hurt Instead of forgiving them, we excuse them. What happens to the anger and the hurt? It's it's there. It's under the surface. It's always boiling, and it comes out somehow. And so it doesn't. It's not resolved. And so that's really the problem with um, unforgiveness. Am I speaking loud enough? Is it okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I can hear you. All right. Okay. Any questions about that first example? No, that all makes sense. Okay. All right. So next page then is, um, like I said, um, forgiveness is really God's idea. So if we want to understand forgiveness, we have to look at God. And you can say that God is holy. You can say God is just. And you can say that God is love. And maybe these three elements are the most uh, important elements in his character. But he can't violate any of them. He, if he's just, he um, has to still be holy in how he resolves it. If he's loving, he still has to be just. He can't just be loving. And so he can't violate his own character. All three of these things have to be true at the same time. So his justice must be satisfied in a way that it does not compromise his holiness. So if God forgives us just because he loves us, he violates his holiness and justice. Like if you ask somebody, so God, does God forgive you? Yes. Why does he forgive you? Well, he loves me. That's true. He does love you. But if he forgives you only because he loves you, then what about his holiness? What about his justice? Mm -hmm. And so forgiveness is based on this idea that wages of sin is death. When there's a sin committed, 
death is what's deserved and that without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin so um it's jesus blood that pays for our sin he doesn't forgive us just because he loves us he forgives us because he 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 chooses to forgive us because he loves us but he's only able to forgive us because christ's blood has paid for your sin he wanted to have a relationship with us but he can't he's holy so our sin has to be paid and we have to be cleansed and now he can have a relationship with us so this um so under the new covenant then jesus blood pays for all our sin First uh, John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How can he be faithful and just? Well, faithful, he said he would forgive us all the way back in Jeremiah. He said he would forgive us. So he's faithful, he's going to forgive us, but he's just when he forgives us because Christ's blood paid for our sin. He didn't violate his justice and just forgive us because he loves us. He paid for our sin with Christ's blood. Yeah. So does God forgive you? Yes. Why does he forgive you? Because he loves me. Yes, he does love you, but he forgives you. He's only able to forgive you because Christ's blood paid for your sin. And if you don't trust in Jesus to pay for your sin, then your blood will have to pay. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, so it's not, forgiveness is not the same as being pardoned. You know, the president can pardon somebody. When he pardons them, nobody else pays for that sin. Nobody else pays for that crime. Uh, but when we're forgiven, Jesus pays for it. We're not pardoned. Jesus has to pay for it for us. And so uh, forgiveness is quite specific in, in the Bible uh, from, the, from God's standpoint. Um, so his standard that forms the basis on which we can forgive the awful things that are done against us. When I say, I forgive that person, what that means is that I know God will do justice for me and that that sin must be paid either by their blood or by faith in Christ. And so when we forgive, we're not giving up payment or letting God collect payment. Um, so I don't require that person that wronged me, and I don't require them to die anymore for their sin. I let God, God decide how it's paid, whether it's their blood or Jesus' blood. But it must be paid. That's what it means to be a just God. The sin must be paid. Okay. Uh, yeah, any questions on this God's character section. That all makes sense. Yeah. 
Um, mercy then is that God accepts Christ's blood as payment for your sin instead of your own. It's God, God's mercy as he accepts Christ's blood as payment for your sin. Are you, uh, do you like movies? Yeah. Have you seen Les Mis? Yeah. That's a great movie about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And the, um, jo Jovert, the, uh, the policeman, yeah. um, he has a very strong sense of justice, but he has no mercy. See, God has mercy in his justice, but Jovert doesn't. <laughs> it's a great yeah. movie to study for forgiveness. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, okay. All right. All right. Um, we'll move on to the next page then is, um, Perception. Okay, when somebody accuses, when somebody accuses in prayer before God, they're not accusing them for what they did. They're accusing them what for what they perceive they did. They're accusing them for a perceived wrong, not for a wrong. Do you see the difference? Mm -hmm. Um all right, so this this little boy. He got in trouble, and um, his mother made chocolate chip cookies and uh, hid them. He found them and he ate them, and his mother said, um, what you did is wrong. No, 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 you're wrong. You didn't hide them well enough. <clears throat> okay, so this person came for a session, and they said, well, my mother didn't hide them well enough. I said, okay, well, then accuse your mother for not hiding them well enough. See, I was talking to a six-year-old at that time. I'm not talking to an adult. <laughs> she remembers it as a six-year-old, right? So accuses and forgives her mother for not hiding the cookie jar well enough. And then I said, do you realize you just forgave your mom for not hiding the cookie jar well enough? She said, that's crazy. So then she confessed she wrongly accused her mom and then asked God to forgive her. Because now I'm talking to the adult. But see, you could have sat there. I could have sat there for three hours and argued with her about who's wrong. But she's got the perspective of a six-year-old on this memory. And so you're not going to win. <laughs> that child truly feels wronged. And so they, you, when we accuse, we accuse from our perspective. And we forgive from that perspective. Um, another example, um, this wife was really angry because her husband keeps his insulin in the refrigerator. Okay, what's so wrong with that? Well, it's it's made out of, uh, it's from pigs. Okay, from her perspective, she's really angry and hurt because of, and considers what her husband's doing as wrong. So she needs to accuse and forgive from that perspective. Um, now, afterwards, she might realize, you know, I, I don't think that was right. I shouldn't have been angry. Well, then she can tell God, I, I falsely accused. Forgive me for accusing him. But once you are offended, I don't know any other way to get rid of the offense other than to accuse and forgive. And so it kind of comes under James where he says, if it's sin to you, don't do it. 
there's this sin that's in the commandments, but there's this other thing that offends us that's not anywhere in the commandments. Um, so sometimes we have to forgive. Okay, how do you know if you're offended? Is it hard to know if you're offended? <laughs> yeah, like we noticed, yeah. <laughs> Is it hard? Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think so. I feel like it. it's pretty simple to pick up on. Maybe it's hard to uh, to admit that you're offended. Maybe right. you feel yeah. silly uh, that you got offended yeah. over something. Yep. Yep. Might be hard to admit it to somebody, but but you feel angry or feel hurt. Yeah. And so if you're angry, you should stop and say, why am I angry? Who am I angry at? What did they do? Why am I angry about that? See, our, our feelings are like a pointer. They point at a problem. And so our anger is very useful. This one woman came into the church and she said, I am so angry, I'm afraid I'm going to say. I said, well, okay, let's go over to a private room. <laughs> I was my colleague yeah. and I went with her to a private room. And, uh, and I said, I'm so happy you're angry. She said, what? I said, it's so easy to help you when you're angry and you admit it. I said, so who are you angry at? And she could rattle it off right off the tip of her tongue. No problem. What did they do? Rattled that off too. You know who's hard to help? Uh, well, are you angry? Oh, no. I could. I want to kill him, but I'm never angry at him. Right. <laughs> yeah. See, our emotions give perspective to our thoughts. Our emotions are also like a pointer. And so emotions are useful. Um, they help us like... You talked about three things in the session, and she started crying uncontrollably about one of them. Well, which one of the three do you think is the most important? Probably, yeah. <laughs> the one with the emotion. <laughs> right. And so the emotions are part of our perception, and they're very useful. And it's very hard working with somebody that's turned them off. I mean, you really have to find out why they turned them off. You know, Spock's my uncle. Maybe that's one reason, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we accuse from our perspective. So we know we're offended. We feel angry or feel hurt. We might not admit that to somebody, but we feel something inside that tells us that we've been wronged. So is it a sin to feel angry? Is it a sin to feel angry? Well, if if you've been at church a while, this is quite there's quite a debate around this actually. But if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, 26, it says, be angry, Greek imperative verb, command verb, be angry. Finally, something I can do easily. Be angry. Yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> but there's a second half to that sentence, but do not sin. So, mm -hmm. feeling angry is not sin. Acting out of your anger is sin. And then the last part of the sentence, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. If we let the sun go down on our anger, what happens? It becomes fester. Yeah, it gets worse. It festers. Yeah. It's worse. And worse and worse and worse. And so, we're warned. It's We're not condemned for feeling angry. 
we're warned not to act out of anger and we're warned not to let the sun go down on our anger because if we do that's sin and um but being angry is very helpful it, it helps us identify who offended us what did they do why are we offended all those things become clearer when there's that emotion there so um um an example maybe of accumulating anger is road rage guy cut you off monday cut another guy cut you off tuesday third guy wednesday repeat next week and then finally you blow a cork and you shoot the guy the next guy that cuts you out what you're doing is you're pouring all your anger out that you have against against all those other guys on this one guy which is not fair it's sin right you're judging him based on their behavior so that's accumulating this can uh, result in road rage too so so emotions are useful where did our emotions come from um satan yeah yeah, god gave them to us satan can't create anything he can only twist something right but god gave us our emotions satan didn't give us our emotions god gave us emotions it's part of communication um yeah so anyway so emotions have a role it's part of our perception and it's helpful okay now some of the things we do if when it says don't act out of anger some of the things we might do in anger are uh, gossip or slander talking behind their back seeking revenge refusing to stop judging them so these are all things we can do out of anger but we're not supposed to so okay yeah okay questions on perception no but i i uh really really appreciate your breakdown of this it was not not a paradigm shift but uh it it gave me better understanding of perception Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and and it could get pretty um difficult at times like a person who's paranoid paranoid schizophrenic um in that case you they um they feel wronged but it's not real it's irrational right um but usually there was something happened that was rational that caused them to go into the state of being irrational so can often find a event that uh precipitated this kind of thinking uh but at any rate it's uh, dangerous to ignore your feelings it's useful to pay attention to them because they're like pointers so yeah all right okay so page next page on page eight okay so this is a personal story um so we were in a car with one of our our eight-year-old son and we're going to church for a prayer meeting and um my wife and my son got in an argument so we weren't in any shape for the prayer meeting um and when we got out of the car um he felt hurt and my wife was really angry so i told my wife i said i'm going to go help him forgive you wasn't the best choice of words on my part because she was already angry right 
So um, I took my son to the side and I talked to him privately. And I said, uh, do you feel hurt? And he shook his head and tears came down. And I said, so who hurt you? Pointed over there at his mom. And I said, so what did she do? And he told me what she did. And um, what she did was so terrible that he was going to run away. Oh, yeah. You know, that's an eight-year-old's uh, response to some some horrible thing. I'm going to run away. And um, so he told me what she did. And I told him, I said, you know, when you weep, your heavenly father weeps with you. Uh, tell him, pray and tell him what your mom did that was so hurtful. And so he prayed and um, and told his heavenly father exactly what she did that made him feel hurt. When he was finished praying, I told him that he had to make a really difficult decision. He had to decide whether to forgive his mom or not. I said, I know you love her, but she did a horrible thing. Um, can you forgive her? And there's still more tears coming down. I said, if you trust your heavenly father to deal with her for you, that should give her. So this is the kind of language you use with an eight-year-old, you know, deal with your mom. You don't use those big fancy, you know, seminary mm -hmm. words. And um, so he uh, prayed and forgave his mom for what she did. And then I said, so um, did you hurt her? Shook his head and more tears came down. And I said, maybe you should uh, tell your heavenly father what you did and uh, ask him to forgive you. And so he did that part. And when he was all done, um, I added my prayer to his. I heard my son accuse and forgive his mother for this. And I also heard him confess and ask for forgiveness. Father, thank you for forgiving him, and thank you for doing justice for him. Now, I'm not God. I don't get to... Um, decide if he's forgiven. But what I do know is he did all the things God required. And so as I can say as a witness that he did all that you required, so he's forgiven. And um, and so that was my witnessing prayer. Now, when he finished, I said, so is there anything else you should do? He said, well, I should go apologize. I said, well, um, I don't know if she's going to apologize to you. I mean, I saw the smoke coming out of her ear. So, um, and he said, "No, I should apologize because that's the right thing to do." And so that's pretty impressive for an eight-year-old, actually. And um, so he was ready to reconcile with his mom. Now, the other half of the story is that she was really angry. You know how I, how can my son treat me like this? Uh, I feed him, I cook for him, I wash his clothes, I birthed him. How can he treat me like this? So she was really angry. And um, and she looked and saw that we were praying. She thought, ah, I guess I should pray too. <laughs> In other words, it was kind of a push for her to deal with it. She wasn't quite ready, really. But she did. Yeah. And so she accused her son before God for what he did. Uh, why? Because she was angry at him. <laughs> he wronged <Yeah>. her. 
<laughs> and she didn't want to carry it, so she accused him and she forgave him. She handed her son over to God. She trusted God to do justice for her instead of carrying it herself. And then the way she describes it, the most amazing thing happened after I forgave him. I realized that I had wronged him. Well, I had already realized that, but she didn't see that because her anger towards her son blinded her to her own part. And so she confessed hurting her son. She asked God's forgiveness. And she too decided to go and apologize to him and to be reconciled. And um, yeah. And so that's a, an example of a smaller thing. I don't know. Is it small? It wasn't small to an eight year old. He's going to run away. And um, yeah. And so uh, it really wasn't a small thing. Um, yeah. So we can see then from this example then. Oh, so they went and apologized with each other and hugged and cried some more and it was done. He never threatened to run away from home again. This resolved it. He had threatened twice before, but after he prayed and forgave his mom, this resolved it. So we can see in this example then there's basically four steps to forgiveness. One, accuse. You have to tell your Heavenly Father what they did. Maybe you don't like the word accuse. Okay, well, just tell the judge what she did that was wrong. That's what an accusation is. Or tell your Heavenly Father what she did that was wrong. Um, then the second step is forgive. Decide whether you forgive or not. Forgiveness is a choice. Decide whether you forgive or not. Um, it's obviously a choice because I have I know all sorts of people who are still angry, all sorts of Christians who are still angry at somebody. So obviously it's a choice. They haven't forgiven yet. <laughs> um, step three, if you have if you feel convicted by your conscience or by God's spirit, then confess it. And then step four, um, ask him to forgive you. And all these things are done in prayer. This is all part of a prayer. You don't accuse them to their face. You don't confess to their face. It's all done in prayer with, with God. Um, this isn't counseling, really. It's discipleship. Every single believer should be able to forgive and be able to help others to forgive. Uh, my wife teaches third grade. She uses this with third graders. You know, two little girls have some sort of spat on the playground, and uh, she teaches them forgiveness or teaches or passes it on to the mom, saying maybe you should help your daughter forgive. Um, yeah. Okay, so in this situation then, I was a safe helper to my son. Um, I was safe. And I was a helper, so I was a safe helper. That's our terminology. And as his safe helper, I talked with him until he knew what to pray. So this is page 10. And um, I respected his perspective of what happened, both his emotions and memories. I didn't try to correct them. I didn't try to dismiss them. I didn't try to minimize them. 
I didn't try to defend or excuse the wrongdoer or minimize what she did. I just simply encouraged him to pray to his Heavenly Father. I encouraged him to be specific when he prayed, not general. I made it clear that forgiving her meant that he was trusting God to deal with her. I didn't pressure him to confess. His own conscience and the Holy Spirit did that. I also didn't assume he was innocent. I just simply asked him if there was anything he did that was wrong. And as a witness, I added my prayer, clearly stating what he had done and what God had done in response. So he was the hurting one. His tears confirmed that he was deeply hurt and needs to accuse the wrongdoer. His tears also confirmed that he was sorry for what he had done to her, so he needed to pray. His own conscience, his own Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit convicted him, not me. And he decided as an act of his own uncoerced will to do each step. I didn't force him to do a thing. And so this really describes, I think, um, how a, a safe helper should treat the hurting one. It's not a battle. It's not a uh, conflict between you and the hurting one. You're just helping them to pray. Uh, one last point from this example is forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. It only takes one person to forgive. It's between you and God. Do you trust him enough to believe he'll do justice? Then you can forgive. But it takes two people to be reconciled. If one of them doesn't want to be reconciled, you can't be. That's why in the Bible it says, be at peace as far as you are able. Why does it just say, be at peace? Why does it say, as far as you are able? Because sometimes you're not able to be at peace because they don't want to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, um, be at peace as far as you are able. Even God is not reconciled with everybody. He wants to be reconciled with everybody, but we have to turn away from our sin before he reconciles with us. We have to trust in Jesus. And so there may be times when we forgive, but we don't reconcile. I forgive you, but you almost killed me, and so I'm not going to be your wife anymore. We're done. I am not putting my life at risk again with you. So. No anger towards him anymore, but also a clear decision not to reconcile in order to be safe. So forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. You can always forgive. You can't always reconcile. I am so angry at my dad. Yeah, but hasn't, isn't your dad been dead for 10 years? Well, yes, but I'm still angry at him. Maybe you should forgive him. But uh, after all that forgiveness, he can't reconcile. He's dead. And so reconciliation and forgiveness aren't ex exactly the same. They're two separate things. You may, might forgive, but you may also choose not to reconcile, or you might not be able to reconcile. It may not be wise to reconcile. Um, yeah. All right, so page 11 then is um, gives an order to forgiveness. Oh, actually, one other comment. Forgiveness occurs in a moment. 
that occurs when you decide you trust God enough to believe he'll do justice for you. Reconciliation takes time. It takes time to rebuild trust. Like, oh, well, I thought you forgave me. I did. Well, then why don't you trust me? I'm working on it. <laughs> that's that's the answer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is the fourth time that you broke my trust. The fourth time you committed adultery against me. And no, I don't trust you right now. I'm, I'm, I hope that I will as time goes on. Yes, I heard you con uh, confess your sin to me, and I forgave you. But it's going to take time to rebuild that trust. You know, that's there's a difference between these two things. So, all right. So there's an order to forgiveness. The Lord's Prayer gives us a a good example. You know, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. So what happens first? We forgive their debts, and then God forgives us in the same way that we forgave them. So we need to accuse and forgive before we confess and ask for forgiveness. And in a very practical sense, usually or often we're so angry at the other person, we don't even see our part until after we forgive them. And so we need to accuse first, then forgive then confess, and then ask for forgiveness. Uh, just an interesting note, as you were saying, uh, talked about the order of forgiveness. I think of uh, just the just the idea of the the Lord's prayer that you He forgives us as we forgive our debtors, and the idea of that accusation being first that we have to mm. go through the process of forgiving them first before we realize where we did wrong and even go to ask for forgiveness. And and so that's that's uh that's just one of those things that I find interesting as you kind of kind of think through the order of things and then also what you see in scripture. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to me is that we totally miss the part about forgiving them. We only think right. about the confession part. That's the part that's so interesting to me. Not just uh Catholics, but Protestants, we don't think in terms of accusing and forgiving but how can you forgive if you don't tell god what they did <laughs> yeah i mean it's pretty practical so yeah all right so let's see let's move on then uh we'll just go through each of the steps one by one so page 12 um so we're told to forgive one another in order to forgive we must clearly state what debts are owed and when we pray, we pray knowing that he wants me to be healed from this offense. And we're just simply bringing the offender before our Heavenly Father. Some people actually see an actual court when they pray like this, with, with God sitting like a judge, you know, behind a bench. But not everybody sees that. But So we bring the offender before our Heavenly Father. We try to see the offense, the hurt, the wound, the sin through God's eyes. So they have their own perspective, but we like, well, yeah, the two of us, we were just messing around. No, you weren't. You had sexual intercourse against her will. That's called rape. <laughs> okay, so 
is or again i wouldn't be so direct i would say isn't that rape you know and um so yes they have their perspective but we want to use god's words for things i guess is what i'm trying to say uh we tell the father point by point what i perceive the offender did we tell him honestly without holding back a lot of people have this fear of god afraid to tell him how they feel but as a son or a daughter they should honestly tell their father without holding back they're not accustomed to it though because uh well for whatever reason um so when our words might be condemning when we accuse but unlike satan we choose to give up our judgment when we forgive you see satan's called the great accuser right the accuser so are we being like satan when we do this no satan accuses and he never forgives he never recognizes god's position as judge when we accuse we accuse in order to forgive in order to hand it to the judge and so it's totally different ours honors god satan doesn't huge difference well, I could never accuse my father while well, your tears already accuse him. All you're doing is putting your tears into words. Yeah, but doesn't Satan do that? Yes, Satan does accuse, but he doesn't never, he never forgives. You're accusing in order to forgive, to hand him over, to hand your father over to God. Uh, next point there is uh, we need to be specific when we accuse. The accusation has to appeal to our sense of justice. Okay, okay, God, I'm supposed to forgive. Okay, I forgive my, I forgive my wife for everything she ever did to me. Does it work? Probably be praying the same prayer again tomorrow. <laughs> it doesn't appeal to your sense of justice. You have to be specific. What is it that she did that offended you? These general accusations, they don't work. They don't appeal to our sense of justice. And so it's not done. It's never finished when we pray like that. Um, you know who wants us to stay general in our accusations? <laughs> Satan, because then we never really forgive. And so... It's a very clever thing, actually. Um, all right, when when we pray, pray to your God, pray to God as Father. Jesus Himself, when He was asked by His disciples, "How should we pray?" Jesus said, "Pray, our Father." Jesus is a bridge. We're on one side of the canyon and god's on the other jesus is a bridge a bridge to what <laughs> he's a bridge to the father okay <laughs> you know to use navigator language but um yeah so pray to your father now why why am i supposed to be so specific about or so uh determined about this God wants to have such a close relationship with you that it's like a son with a father. Yeah, but my father wasn't like that. He was abusive. Why would I pray to the father? 
I don't trust him or anybody, any father. But he's God is the father you wished you had, not the one you did have. If you're if you ask your father for a fish, he doesn't give you a snake. And your heavenly father is even greater than that, is what it says. And so some people have a hard time praying to God as Father because of their earthly father. They need to forgive, accuse and forgive their earthly father. How sad it must make God when they can't pray to him because of how they were treated by their earthly father. Uh, in the story of the wasteful son, the prodigal son, the son takes his inheritance and he goes away to a foreign country and he wastes all the money. He has nothing left. And the only place he can find to sleep is in the pigsty. And the only food he has to eat is what the pigs are eating. I think Jesus is a very good storyteller. Every Jew must have been squirming with those words. <laughs> and um, so, so the son, he gets up and he says, I know, I'll go back to my father's house. Maybe I can be a servant. So the son starts back, and the father sees him coming. So what does the father do? He, the father just sit there and drink tea, wait for him to arrive? No. The father walked slowly so they would meet halfway? No. The father ran to his son. And when he got there, the father said, Oh, great, another servant. I need another servant. No, the father said, my son has returned. And, and so then did the father say, oh, go eat with the servants? No, he killed the fatted calf. And then he did a very important thing. He put a ring on the son's finger, giving back his authority, put a robe on his back, giving him back his identity, and sandals on his feet, and said, my son has returned. Now, that's a story about all of us. Okay, we woke up in our pigsty, and when we turned away from it, God ran to you, and he ran to me. And so when we stand before God, we don't stand as a servant. We stand as a son or a daughter, and he wants us to call him Abba, Daddy. So our status is son or daughter, and we can pray to him as Father. And if we can't because of our earthly father, we need to get over it. We need to accuse and forgive our earthly father because God wants a close relationship like that. Um, sometimes when we accuse, we have to accuse more than one person. So there's this greater circle. So this kid was bullied at school, so he needs to accuse and forgive the bully. What about the teacher that saw it happen and didn't do anything about it? What about his friends that stood there and watched him get beat up? What about the kids that called him names for years after that? See, those things might hurt more than getting beaten up, actually. And so he needs to accuse and forgive all of them, not just the bully. And so oftentimes when we're wronged, there's others that helped us be wronged. And so we need to accuse them too. If we don't include inc uh, include them, then the incident won't be finished, and so it will come up again. And so we have to be 
sure to ask who else was there, who else was involved, who else should have been involved and wasn't, you know, these kinds of questions. Otherwise, we'll probably be talking about that incident again because it wasn't complete the first time. So that's that first step, then accuse. So as a safe helper, you're, you're listening. You're listening to see if their prayer is honest, if they're being open when they pray. If they're, if they're specific enough, if they've included the greater circle, if they're praying to their father, these are all things you're watching for as a safe helper. If they're clearly stating what the debts are that are owed. Uh, yeah. Okay, the next step is forgiven prayer. So I'll give an example first. Is, um, the 17-year-old... Uh, girl in China went to a new school and this man said he was a teacher but he kidnapped her and raped her and she was um, held in his house until she escaped so she escaped after a few days and uh, the police arrested this man and put him in prison but she wasn't satisfied and um, she was devastated she had uh, been only been a Christian six months um, and she didn't want to talk to her pastor about this. She didn't want to talk to her parents. She didn't want to talk to anybody except one friend. And that one friend came to our forgiveness class and told us what happened. And we told her, when she's ready, come to Beijing, and um, we will help you. God will restore you from this. So three months later, she came. And my wife and I met with her. and. When she started to tell her story, she started to was very angry and very and crying loudly. And now Chinese are very reserved with their emotions, so you can tell how deeply she's hurt. And so I said, what this man did was wicked. It was evil. Maybe you should accuse him before God for what he did. And so she did. She went on for like 20 minutes of accusing him. Half the words I never learned in my Chinese class. And uh, she was really angry and um, and really hurt. And after 20 minutes, she was done. So I said, so now you have to make a really difficult decision. You have to decide whether to forgive him or not. But I said, why would you forgive him? Even the Old Testament says he deserves death for what he did. Why would you forgive him? And I told her, I said, if you trust God enough to believe, that he will do justice for you and it will be satisfying, then forgive him. It was really hard for her to do that. Really hard because she's only been a Christian six months and what happened to her is so horrible. But she decided to forgive, to forgive this man. She decided to trust God for justice. And, um, we had to do some extra things because it was sexual sin. She felt defiled. She felt tied to him. So we had to deal with some other things that we'll study. But um, in a total of six hours, this was resolved. Well, Mike, how do you know it's resolved? Well, she went back to her hometown and um, she went 
the pastor called me and said we she went with us on an outing and she was the happiest person there. And the pastor's question was, how can that be? That's the right question, isn't it? What's the answer? She prayed and God resolved it in response to her prayer. And so um, that's what that's our definition there on the page. Forgiveness is trusting God enough to believe that he will see that justice is done on my behalf according to his standard and that I will be satisfied. So what does it feel if you've really forgiven somebody? If you've truly forgiven them, how does it feel? Well, if I truly forgave them, then I wouldn't have a grudge anymore. I don't demand payment anymore because God is collecting it. I don't need to talk about them behind their back because God is judging them. I don't carry this burden anymore, this need to get justice because God's doing it. I don't need anything from them, not even an apology, because God will make sure that their sin is paid in full. And I no longer need to bear wit I no longer bear witness against them. I don't talk about them and what they did behind their back. I give up my right to accuse them for this thing anymore because God is dealing with it. So I actually have them pray and say, I give up my right to accuse them for this anymore. Um, there's no need to. Why would I do that? Why would I pick up this burden and carry it again when I just gave it to God? When somebody wrongs us, it's like being stabbed with a knife. And maybe we've been a Christian a while, so we pray, oh God, take away the pain, take away the pain, take away the pain. He takes away the pain. But the pain comes back because the knife is still there. So then we've been a Christian for 10 years, so we know we have to pray again. So take away the pain, take away the pain, take away the pain. God takes away the pain, but the pain comes back because the knife is still there. We need to take away the knife. Forgiveness takes, takes the knife out. And once the knife's taken out, there is a scar. You don't forget that you were hurt. And here's the thing about scars. Scars don't hurt. Scars don't hurt anymore. One woman said, what if the flesh has grown around the knife? What do you do then? In other words, what if it's too painful to take the knife out? Well, pray and tell God that I'm afraid. I'm afraid it will be too painful. Please prevent. Don't let it be so painful that it interferes with my healing. Ask him to do that. That's what you need, right? So she did. She prayed that in a session, and God took the knife out. And that's not an issue anymore. Okay, page 14. What if the wounded one's not ready to forgive? You can choose not to forgive. Or more accurately, you might not be ready to forgive. Maybe the pain is too raw. Maybe you want to carry it a little longer. Maybe you want to even live with the shame and hurt for a while. So some people do forgive, do choose not to forgive for a while. But here's the thing is God did not design you to carry this. 
So one woman came for a session and she accused her father of 20 things. And I said, so do you forgive him? She said, no. Okay, see you next week. 20 more things. Do you forgive him? No. Okay, see you next week. The next week she came running in and she said, I have to forgive him. I said, why? She said, because I can't carry this anymore. You see, when we forgive, we get rid of that burden. We think that forgiving them is to their benefit. It's to our benefit. When we choose never to forgive, it's like drinking poison and waiting for them to die. They don't even know any of this. They're just living their life, going along their way, and you just drink poison and you're waiting for them to die. You become bitter in your life. You don't have friends. Nobody wants to talk to you anymore because you're so bitter. So this person who says, I will never forgive you, they didn't win the lottery ticket. This is of no benefit to them. It's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. When you forgive them, you're trusting God to do justice for you. You didn't let them off the hook. You put them on God's hook. God said he's just, so he must do justice for all wrong that's done. So if you believe that, then don't hang on to it even a, a second longer. All right. Any thoughts or questions on the accuse and forgive steps? Or choosing not to forgive? I just think it's a good reminder for us because I feel like, like you said earlier, as we're moving into this section, this is something that I feel like a lot of a lot of uh, Christians can can overlook, um, but remembering that we're not designed to carry it, and that we're not letting them off of the hook, but putting them on God's hook, um, is super important as we're talking to people who are really hurting, um, and and see forgiveness as their as the benefit to the aggressor and not to their own benefit. Right, um, and right. so it's just a it's just a much better picture of what forgiveness really is. Yeah, it shows the uh, all three attributes of God's character. See, we tend to only look at the love attribute; we don't look at the holiness and justice parts. And all three of these have to be true all the time. And um, yeah, yep, good comment, good point. There's not a lot of clear teaching on forgiveness, though. It really isn't. I I sit on the edge of my seat and listen as the pastor is preaching his sermon on forgiveness, and he always stops short on on the justice thing. Never mentions the justice thing, and and yet it's right there in the Lord's prayers. Well, I'll forgive. You'll forgive me, but I have to forgive them first. And vengeance is mine. Leave. Leave room for me to do vengeance. Vengeance means justice because God is just. When he does vengeance, it's just vengeance. So it's just. <laughs> uh, but um, mm -hmm. not like ours, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So next step in a little more detail then is confess in prayer. Sometimes... Uh, the person that you're helping, they are a victim. They didn't do anything. They have no conviction about anything. 
Their conscience doesn't convict them. The Holy Spirit doesn't. So they're a victim. And so they have nothing to confess. Like the example of the 70-year-old woman that was that was uh, raped. She had no conviction. So she was a victim. There was nothing to confess. Uh, sometimes they're the perpetrator. Sometimes they're the perpetrator. And so they have nothing to accuse the other person of. But the more common case is that they were they were a participant. They did something and the other person did something too. Or the other person hurt them and then they hurt them in response. So in this case, there's things to accuse, but there's things to uh, confess also. Yeah, and that's the more the most common case is the participant. But a, a person might be a victim in this situation, a perpetrator in that situation, and a participant in the third. So um, it really goes uh, incident by incident, or you know, changes over time somehow. Uh, a good example of this is somebody that's been sexually abused, let's say uh, incest by a brother. They start out and they are a victim. But then she starts going to his room. She becomes a willing participant. And then she does something to her little brother. So she becomes a perpetrator. So see these... Thinking in terms of these roles is really useful, actually. Very helpful. Okay, what's the difference between judging someone and forgiving them? Uh, do not judge, or you will be judged in the same way that you judge. Okay, well, how do you want to be judged? It says, I want to be judged by the righteous one. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to be judged by the righteous one, then... I need to let the righteous one judge them. So I need to stop judging and hand them over to God and let him do it. So forgiving is, it's you're taking yourself out of the judgment seat. You've been judging and now you're, stopped, you're not judging anymore. You're letting God judge. You're letting God decide what to do with them. You've got all sorts of plans. I mean, in one case, this guy in China, he had a plan to kill his father. He ordered a gun on eBay, but it couldn't get into the country. That's the only reason he didn't kill him. So one of the guys I did sessions with, but he, after he accused and forgave his father, he gave up. He gave that up. Doesn't need to kill his father anymore. He's letting God deal with his father. But he was certainly judging him and condemning him to death. But when he forgave him, he let God do the judging and let God decide what to do with him. And so if we want to be judged by a righteous judge, then we need to hand them over to that righteous judge too. That's, that's the meaning of that section, in, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Okay, when we confess, we need to have regret and remorse for what we did. It can't just be words. We have to have regret and remorse for what we did. If it doesn't have regret and remorse, then it's not sincere. God doesn't have to answer an insincere prayer. We know that from Malachi, Malachi chapter 2. I don't know the verse off the top, but um, 
these uh, men were offering sacrifices and God wouldn't accept their prayer because they were de dealing with their wives treacherously. And they also were offering sacrifices, but they were blemished. So that wasn't a sincere sacrifice. So God didn't have to, did not receive their prayers. So when we confess, there should be remorse, there should be regret. Uh, if there's not, you could say, you know what, you're, I hear the words, but are you sorry for what you did? You could stop them and ask them. No, not really. He was such a jerk, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds like we have some other accusing to do first. <laughs> um, so at any rate, it has to be, there needs to be regret, remorse, and they have to be willing to turn away from what they've been doing. That was wrong. Otherwise, their prayer is meaningless. It's not sincere. God doesn't have to accept it. Uh, when we confess, we shouldn't blame others for our actions and words. Well, you swore at him. Yeah, but he made me. Really? <laughs> it's his fault? Well, yeah. <clears throat> so you're not responsible for your own mouth and your own... <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. um, now, how about your wife? Is she responsible for what she says and does? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what makes you so special? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, not trying to mock this person, but um, there's some sort of problem there because they're not accepting responsibility for their own words and actions. They're dismissing them by blaming somebody else. Now, usually what happens, though, is they'll, come, they'll accuse and forgive, and then what their part is becomes clear, and they feel convicted, and they confess it. That's normally what happens, yeah. Yeah, but if they start blaming somebody else for their words and actions, um, they're excusing themselves from any responsibility. Oh, why are you confessing? There's nothing to confess if it's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault. Can you can you confess for them? I don't think so. So why are you confessing at all? What's that even mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I alone am responsible for my words and my actions. That's what it means to be an adult. You could say, well, I'm a kid. I'm only 10. I'm learning to be responsible, but I'm not fully responsible yet. That's true. But you know what? You're 87 years old now. When are you going to be responsible for your words and actions? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, that might have been kind of extreme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it helps you remember. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So the last step is um, ask for forgiveness. It's one thing to confess. It's not the same as asking God for forgiveness. I confess I did all these things wrong. Please forgive me. What is it you want God to do? You've confessed. That's your part. What do you want God to do? Ask him to forgive you. So here's your Test question. If you don't answer this right, I'll make you listen to the whole thing all over again. <laughs> <laughs>
So why would God forgive you? Oh, why would he forgive you when you yeah, ask why, for forgiveness? Yeah, you ask him for forgiveness. So why would he forgive you? And because of the uh because of what Christ did on the cross, that yeah. that he's able yeah. to take the penalty. Right. And that justice is satisfied in that. Right. That he loves you and and he's able to forgive you because Christ's blood paid for your sin. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, that's what happened. Is God that Jesus paid for your sin. Now your head may know that Jesus paid for my sin, but you may still feel unforgiven. Well, have you ever confessed it? Well, no. Okay, well, confess it and ask God to forgive you. That way your heart will know now too. What if you've done something so bad that you can't forgive yourself? Okay, so you did something really bad, yes. Did you confess it to God? Yes. Did you ask God to forgive you? Yes. Did he forgive you? Yes. Do you forgive yourself? No. Okay, so God's standard is here, and God says you're forgiven, but your standard's here. <laughs> Are you comfortable having a higher standard than the righteous one? Really? Okay, so if you say you accepted God's forgiveness, then that means you should forgive yourself. Otherwise, you just have a different standard than God. Accepting God's forgiveness means you forgive yourself. Who wants you never to forgive yourself? Who tells you, whispers in, yeah, Satan wants you. Who whispers in your ear? You're not forgiven. God doesn't forgive you. Why would God forgive you? So do yourself a favor, accept God's forgiveness, and reject Satan's words. But I don't deserve his forgiveness. You're right, you don't. But he gave it to you anyway. Accept it, forgive yourself. Well, I can never pay for it. Yeah, you're right again. You can't pay for it. But he offered it to you anyway. Accept it, forgive yourself. But why did Jesus die for, for me? Because you're worth it. You were made in God's image, and he wants to spend time, his life, he wants to be with you, and Christ's blood is the way. All right. So then kind of uh, summarizing then the steps on <clears throat> this page uh, 17. Um, so step two, three, four, five, we already talked about. I've added a step one. Before you can pray, you need to understand the issue or the incident clearly. I mean, what are you going to accuse? You have to have a discussion and understand what happened so that they know what to accuse. What are you going to confess? Same thing. You have to have a discussion. You have to talk about what happened, what happened next, who was involved, um, what do they feel what do they have against this person? What do you have against that person? Um, what would you? What do you feel guilty about, or convicted about, or shamed, ashamed about? And so this is discussion, and then you go through the steps two, three, four, uh, five, and then the last one I added was forgive yourself. Sometimes 
Not always, but sometimes it's really important to ask them, do you forgive yourself? Oh, yeah, I've confessed that a hundred times to God. Did he forgive you every time? Oh, yeah, every time. Then why do you keep confessing it? Probably because they don't accept it. They didn't accept. They didn't forgive themselves. And, um, yeah. Right. I should say that's one possibility. It's the most likely possibility. Yeah. Okay. And in between three and four, a lot of safe helpers add a step that says, I give up the right, the right to accuse mm. any for these things anymore. There might be other things that have haven't been prayed about yet, but the things I prayed about today, I I give up my right to accuse them for those things anymore. This seems to be a very um useful step. Um yeah. And then after they pray those six things, then the safe helper adds a witnessing prayer, just witnessing what they did. I heard them forgive today. I heard them confess from their heart. Thank you for doing justice. Thank you for forgiving them. And actually, the, the witnessing pr uh, prayer can be really important. I mean, some of these things that they're sharing with you, they've never talked with anybody else before in their whole life. And you're listening to their story, and you're adding your agreement to their prayer. And it's very um, powerful. I've had people say, well, I prayed, but it didn't really feel complete until after you added your witness to the prayer. I think when we're doing this, we're acting in the role of a priest. It says we're all part of the priesthood. That's that's what we're doing here. It's just like an Old Testament priest minus all the sacrifices. And adding our prayer can be quite uh, important, quite powerful. Um, so though that's the core of forgiveness. There's some other steps that sometimes are needed. Uh, forgiveness issues often have very strong emotions, uh, like this person's jumping up and down on the sofa screaming at their father or whatever. I mean, it can be very intense. So you can pray and ask God to take those emotions away. After you've forgiven them, those emotions you feel, they don't serve any purpose anymore. So ask God to take them away. Bind them up by your Holy Spirit. Take them away. We have the power to bind and loose as his children through the Holy Spirit. So bind it up. Take it away. It doesn't give life to them. So when they remember what happened, there's not this emotional charge isn't there anymore. Just not there. Like it happened to somebody else. The emotions are gone. Um, the second one, the memory. The memory can be, when they recall the memory, it can still hurt them. So tell God, I don't want to recall this memory unless you have a good purpose. I want to put this memory into the control of your Holy Spirit. Unless your spirit brings it up, I don't want to think about it. We don't want God to give them amnesia because sometimes the Holy Spirit will use these stories to help somebody else. And so we just simply ask that the story be under, the uh, memory be under 
the control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes you, after they forgive, you deal with family bonds. Um, okay, I forgave my dad. I forgave him for all these things. It's all finished. You know, God, I really want you to help help me, help us strengthen our relationship. The opposite happens too. I forgive him for all those things, and I don't want a relationship with him anymore. He's still not safe. I ask you to cut the tie between us so I don't feel obligated as a son anymore. Now, you don't do that cutting part until the forgiveness is done, and you don't do that very often, but sometimes you do. There's some pretty awful things. Um, yeah some terrible things, things that are so bad you say, that's not a father. A father doesn't do that to his son. Okay. Yeah, so anyway, so sometimes you cut, ask God to cut the ties. It's You don't do that uh, flippantly, though. You do that after all the forgiveness is done and only because the person you're working with is struggling. You ask them about this and uh, you pray about it and and then you can ask God to cut the tie then if it seems right. Um, sometimes out of the forgiveness issue, there is a belief, some sort of destructive belief that has to be. So Satan, okay, this father beat his son with a rod and he wouldn't stop beating him. And the mother jumped in there and he beat her too. And he begged his father to stop, and he wouldn't stop. He could see his father's eyes bulging out and the veins popping out and his face red and beating him with this metal rod in anger. And Satan used that moment to tell that little boy, "Is nobody loves you, not even your own father. You're not lovable. So sometimes Satan uses these opportune times to plant a lie in our heart. And so... We may have dealt with the beating part, but we may also have to deal with the lie that you're not lovable. And um, yeah. And then finally, um, you've done the forgiveness things, but there's other things connected to it that are from the occult or from sexual sin, uh, things that involve defilement. So you might have to add, uh, do those also. Now, we're going to talk about sexual sin in, in, uh, another time at another time. And also the occult will be under the cursed topic, but there's a sense of spiritual defilement from these things. And so you might have to deal with spiritual defilement in addition to forgiveness. Um, yeah, there you go. So the amazing thing is, is that God has provided a way, a way to get justice for all these wrongs so that we don't have to carry them anymore. And when we're rid of those, we can begin to experience the fullness of life that God promised us instead of being burdened all the time with these things. Um, personally, I think this forgiveness topic should be taught everywhere. Every single adult Sunday school class, every, every, every other sermon should talk about this. Um, the kids' Sunday school, the teens' Uh, night. The they should be taught at the Christian schools. It should just be taught everywhere. 
parenting classes, marriage classes. It's of all the topics that we teach, this is so needed everywhere, and there's no um, comprehensive teaching on it by anyone that I know of. And so I, I believe that when I was in China, I could have taught just on this topic for the rest of my life and um, not run out of places to uh, that needed it. Um, I taught, we were invited to go teach in this peasant uh, village church. The pastor uh, was a, a farmer, and he had 30 people in his congregation, so we drove two hours to his to to speak on forgiveness he had had a session and it was it just totally changed his perspective of things and so he begged us to come teach to these 30 people well we arrived an hour late and there was 240 people he told every pastor everywhere and they're all sitting in an alley on those little kids you know kindergarten kind of seats and there's no building. There's just uh, there's just uh, metal uh, spanning from one building to the other, and they're all sitting in this alleyway, and um, and they're all dressed in their blue Mao outfits, you know, the with the little cap, you know, and their hands are wrinkled and their clothes are dirty, and these are tough people. They're farmers, and they don't have automated equipment. They do everything by hand, and really tough people. And as as I started to teach on forgiveness, I, I looked up and they're all sitting there like good students with one hand on each knee and both feet on the ground and looking straight ahead. But there's tears just running, just running down their face because of all the the burdens that they carried for all those years that nobody had told them that how they could ask God for justice and how they could forgive. And um, there's millions, tens of millions of people like that in China, that deep, deep unforgiveness, bitterness because of government things and and just hardship and also abuse in the family. And anyway, uh, so this is a really, really important topic, not just in China, I think. I think it's every every church needs this also. And so anyway, that's my soapbox. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, all right. So I would just add that at the end here is you can go to the website. There's a forgiveness booklet you can download. Anybody can download. And uh, there's also a a forgiveness video that follows a lot of what I said tonight that anybody can listen to. And so like your, your pastor or your colleagues that are doing counseling uh, might be useful for them. I hope it's useful for them. And uh, yeah. yeah, there's also two, uh, there's a book that Richard wrote that's uh, thicker, maybe, um, 200 pages or so on forgiveness, the path to forgiveness. Um, there's another one that's on divorce. Um, so anyway, there's some other materials out there might be might be useful for you. Yeah. All right.
Well, we never we never did get an Elena. We'll have to see what happened there. But yeah, hope she's okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I've met her before, so she's she's delightful. So I I am concerned what might have happened, but yeah. So, all right. Well, any other questions on forgiveness? I did have one question that came up uh, just back in the confession spot, and it was when you were just mentioning sometimes there are people that are unable to uh, acknowledge or take responsibility for their own uh, wrongs in a situation. Um, yeah. And I'm curious, as we as we go further, uh, will there be more discussion on just kind of how best to navigate conversations with people like that? Um, is it just good to go back to the accusation steps with them? As uh, is, uh, is it? I mean, of course, I'm sure it's a case by case basis for you know for people. Some, but. Yeah, sometimes you um, you hear their story and they do a bang up job of accusing and forgiving, but somehow they totally miss their part <laughs> yeah okay what i mean mm -hmm. by that is from you from my perspective as a safe helper it's uh, i'll say something like well it seems like um it seems like your response or what do you think about your response was that you think god's pleased with that or um you know something like that or if they have trouble projecting it I mean, seeing it, maybe project it out. So if, you're, if your son responded the way you did, what would you say to him? Um, so you can, um, we're going to talk about this in techniques. There's different ways to approach the hurting one. Uh, one of the approaches is you can confront. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not, it shouldn't be your go-to. Uh, because when you confront, you might break trust. And they might not come back. But occasionally you may need to confront them. You know, once you've built a good enough relationship, you you risk you you risk it a bit and confront them. And so there's a place for that. Uh I start what I, where I start though is like um, wow, it seems it seems like maybe you should confess this. Or do you have anything to confess related to this? It's it doesn't seem right is it right so just kind of or another one is um you know maybe you should pray and ask the holy spirit what you need to confess now um we're we're not the holy spirit so we don't get to tell them what they did that was wrong um we can suggest uh we can even suggest a little stronger it's just, it's just a confrontational thing but we don't keep pressing until they give in and say uncle we uh we confront and if they don't accept that then we back off because it didn't work but in the at the end of the day the holy spirit has to convict them or it's not going to be sincere anyway and so um right. yeah so we so it talk, talks about gently restore, gently restore. So we, that's our main, that's our go-to, but occasionally we may have to confront. Um, this Chinese woman 
became a Christian uh, against her will. She felt she was forced to believe. So she was really angry at the men that converted her. So I, I said, I prayed, and God directed me. I said, well, maybe you need to accuse them before your father for doing this forcefully. So she accused them and forgave them. But you see the irony here? She became a being because of them, but she accused and forgave them. And that actually worked. But mm -hmm. then um, she kind of switched between people. Like one moment she's a sweet Christian, and the next moment this uh, very unstable person. Well, it turned out she had all these artifacts from Tibet that had been blessed by lamas, like human skulls and all these things. So she refused to give up these detestable objects. So she went back and forth between one person to the other, like this, all the time. She refused to give up those detestable things. She refused to obey God. What can I do about it? I mean, I confronted her. I told her, you need to get rid of those things. And showed her the passage, Bible passages that talk about this and so on. And but my confrontation wasn't enough. She did not change her mind. And so now she lives her life going back and forth like that. Um so confrontation um isn't enough. And they really need to fall under conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so it's okay to confront them when everything else hasn't worked. But you may break their trust and they won't meet with you anymore. And the second thing is, is that without the Holy Spirit, nothing's really going to change. Mm -hmm. um, they have to feel a sense of conviction or it's just not, it's meaningless. And we're not the Holy Spirit. So, yeah. Yeah. Good that question. Makes sense. That's a great question, though. I'd like you to watch one video. Uh, let's see. Is it up? Okay. I'll have to send you the link because there's a problem right now on the website with the, the link for this one. It's a video of the beginnings of prayer resolution. It's Richard and Connie talking okay. about when they first got going. Have you seen that already? I have not, no. Okay, so it's about it's about nine minutes or ten minutes, something like that. And um, but it was started by missionaries for missionaries. So I think understanding what how it grew up. I think would be useful based on a lot of your questions. Yeah. And so I'll send you the link for that. And um, uh, yeah. So next week, then we'll, we'll study um, the next, we'll study reconciliation and I'll start into the being a safe helper topics. Uh, we'll also study those, one of those. Um, I think we'll talk about God's role and God's approach uh, those two parts of being a safe helper. So, 